0: chapter forty two of mad barbara by warwick deeping this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter forty two it would almost seem that stephen gore was a little mad those first few days in thorn what with the fever of a chill he had taken in the saddle the utter ghostliness and melancholy of the place and the cold raw mists that hung about the moat the cold went to his marrow and the sinister solitude of the house to his brain for at night thorn was a veritable goblin castle where a man might imagine all manner of dim horrors the wind made strange noises and whisperings of dismay plaster crumbled and fell slants of moonlight sprang in as the clouds drifted over the moon the ivy rattled on the walls worm-eaten beams creaked and cracked and the wind was everywhere like a haunted spirit. Stephen Gore had found only one candle left in the place. It had lasted him but one night, so that when the dusk fell he had no light but the light of the fire. And he would lie awake on the couch in the kitchen, the hot blood simmering in his brain, and a sweat of shivering fear on him, while he fancied that he heard voices in the thickness of the walls, and a sound as of things moving in the darkness however dainty and superfine a man may be his flesh takes command of his spirit when the smaller necessities of life fall to his own hands it would have delighted some of the cynics of whitehall to have seen this fine gentleman in his shirt sleeves splitting firewood with pitiful clumsiness and disciplining his stomach in an attempt to boil salt beef for stephen gore was repeating some of the experiences of a selkirk save that his solitude was of his own seeking and yet not a matter of choice. What with misery of mind and body, the malaise of the fever, and the utter melancholy of the place, my lord's manhood and his moral courage were in ruins within a week. He gave way to a sense of panic, and to a delirious lust for self-preservation, that would have seemed ridiculous but for the very real torment he was in. Whether he was hunted as a conspirator against the state, or as a spiller of innocent blood were possibilities that pointed only to the one grim issue the morbid belief in their having sinned against the holy ghost has sent superstitious mortals to bedlam a morbid dread of death seized on my lord with equal grimness and in a week he had lost that larger consciousness that cool sanity and shrewd sense of humour that gave a man power over the chances of life His intelligence began to drop to the level of the animal that seeks to cover its tracks from possible pursuers. Sagacity gave place to cunning and a blind passion for the annihilation of everything that might betray him. He sent his horse adrift, driving him out with savage prickings from the sword, so that the beast fled panic-stricken into the woods. As for the dog, he put a pistol-bullet through his head, tied a weight to the carcass, and sunk it in the moat saddle and harness he buried in the garden keeping the bar up across the courtyard gate and going out from the house only at dusk he even made his fire on the floor in the middle of the kitchen enduring the smoke and the smarting of his eyes so that the smoke might leak away through the doors and windows and crevices instead of pluming up out of the chimney he burned all the rough furniture in the place save the couch and an old stool and taking up two of the flagstones in the floor dug a hole under them to hide the store of food not realizing perhaps that the stuff would be mouldy and rotten in a month it was his feverish purpose to blot out every trace of life from thorn so that should it be raided by the law there should be no clues the marvel was that he found such a life worth living for the sake of the life he hoarded but stephen gore was not wholly sane those days what with the fever and the sweat of fear in him at night and the thoughts that haunted him as thirst haunts a straggler in the desert nor was all this cunning of his wasted upon chimerical possibilities and feverish fancies as the event soon proved it was the day of john gore's ride into battletown with mr jennifer and stephen gore had fallen asleep on the couch in the kitchen for he could sleep in the day if not at night about two o'clock in the afternoon he awoke to find that the fire had burned itself out for the erstwhile philosopher had much to learn in the simple matter of building a wood fire so that it should not be out in an hour he scrambled up rather sourly and was about to cross the court to the wood lodge when he heard a faint "hello" coming from the misty stillness of the wooded slopes of the valley stephen gore turned back into the kitchen like a man who has escaped walking over a cliff in the dark and stood listening a moment with his hand to his ear then he pushed the couch away toward the window and kneeling swept the ashes of the fire into the hearthstone with his hands thanking heaven for the providential perverseness of the thing in burning out while he was asleep climbing the lower story of the tower he looked cautiously through the narrow window "'to see nearly twenty mounted men "'coming down over the grassland at a fast trot. "'My lord's knees rubbed together "'as he recognised the redcoats of the two troopers "'and the more sombre and magisterial look "'of the gentry who followed. "'Days ago Stephen Gore had searched out a hiding-place for himself, "'and his choice had lighted on nothing cleaner "'and more distinguished than the chimney in the kitchen. "'He had climbed up by the chain,' despite the soot he who could hardly wear the same shirt twice in a week till the throat of the chimney narrowed so that he could use his hands and feet about fifteen feet from the ground he had discovered a little recess in the brickwork where a man might stand and not be seen by any one looking upward he had eased the ascent to this possible niche of refuge by knocking in an old nail or two that he had found in one of the outhouses A great amount of majestic cant has been written about the stately courage of the gentleman. There are very few Sir Richard Grenvilles in the world, but far more Falstaffs ready to take refuge in the washing basket at a pinch. To have played the proper heroic part, my lord should have gone out calmly to the gate of Thorn and courteously dared these gentry to take him while he lived, or at least to have awaited them with aristocratic composure and delivered up his arms like a great captain. "'surrendering a fortress that he has no longer the power to hold. "'Such would have been the picturesque setting of the scene, "'but the meaner impulses of human nature triumphed, "'and the gentleman went up the chimney like a sweeps-boy, "'barking his knees and elbows, "'and colouring his dignity with most satanic soot. "'Squire Oxenham and his party came to the gate of Thorn, "'and sent one of the yeomen over it to drop the bar and let the others in.' three men were left to guard the horses and the gate and two more to patrol the borders of the moat while magistrate attorney king's rider and the rest spread themselves abroad to ransack the place keeping their steel and powder ready in case they might come to grips with desperate men but for all their bravery and bustle they found nothing but silence and emptiness in thorn as though the place had remained lifeless since the old scotch folk left it in the autumn squire oxenham and lawyer gibbs found their way into the kitchen and went no farther in the man-hunt being content with the work done the lawyer noticed the discoloured stones in the floor and some wood-ash lying in the crevices and had he touched those stones instead of staring at them in a perfunctory and superior way he would have discovered that they were warm and that a fire had been lit there that very day Squire Oxenham, being an old and plethoric man, with threatenings of gout in the right foot, sat down on the couch and pulled out a flask of hollands. He and the lawyer began gossiping together, and the knight of the chimney could hear every word that passed. "'We shall have an appetite for supper, Thomas, though we may not set eyes on Mr. Shaftesbury's lord. Deuce take me if I can get my blood hot over the notion of sending some poor devil to the block?' "'What are you staring at the floor for, Thomas?' "'There has been a fire here, squire.' "'Month's old man. "'The place where Sandy McAllister smoked his Sabbath clothes "'before sneaking into heaven without crossing Peter's palm. "'Have a drop of spirit, Thomas Gibbs. "'I wonder what made those Westminster wolves "'sent out thorn as the man's hiding-hole. "'The fellow Morsley tells me that the Purcell woman— "'Hello, sack of mine man. "'Have you found anything except owls?' "'Not a thing, your worship.' just as i thought mr gibbs just as i thought any man of sense with a warrant out against him would have been in france days ago and eating french dinners instead of freezing in a damned rubbish heap like this but these jacks in office must pretend to know everything some noodle at westminster could be ready to tell me how much to allow my wife's sisters and how often my cesspit ought to be emptied well mr maudsley have you had enough of thorn the little man in the big periwig came in looking testy, and not to be trifled with. The men trooped in after him, while the squire passed his flask round to the gentlemen and condoled with them satirically on having drawn a blank. Stephen Gore in the chimney heard them gossiping there a while, before they tramped out into the courtyard to take horse for Battletown, before dusk fell. The thunder of hoofs went over the timbers of the bridge, and slowly— almost eerily as the water of a stagnant pool settles over the stone that has been thrown into it the heavy silence closed again over thorn it was probable that my lord felt some elation over his escape and that he was not a little eager to be out of so black and draughty a refuge he was also very stiff and cold from having stood in that narrow recess for over an hour At all events he began the descent clumsily and carelessly, and bearing too much weight on one of the nails that he had driven into the wall, the thing broke away from the rotten mortar, and, though he drove out his knees and elbows in an attempt to wedge himself in the chimney, his weight and bulk carried him heavily to the hearth below. Coming down on his right flank, his right thigh struck one of the iron fire-dogs, about a hand's breadth below the great trochanter of the hip and Stephen Gore felt the bones snap as a dead branch snaps across a man's knee. In the agony of it he rolled over and over till his body was stopped by the couch that Squire Oxenham had drawn forward from the window. He gripped the lower stretcher of the wood frame with both hands and took the sleeve of his coat between his teeth, as a seaman will clinch his teeth upon a rope's end to save himself from screaming when the surgeon's hot iron sears the stump of a mangled limb. Then he lay on his back, breathing deeply and slowly, his hands tugging at the collar of his shirt as though the band were tight about his throat. His right foot had fallen outward, and when he tried to move the limb there was nothing but a spasm of the muscles and a sense of bone gritting against bone. End of chapter 42